1: Hey, this is Ashley Stahl, author of the book, U-Turn. And if you want to level up your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell.
2: If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell.
0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Ashley Stahl. Ashley is a counterterrorism professional turned career coach and author of the best-selling book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career, and she's on a mission to help you step into a career that you're actually excited about and aligned with through her two viral TEDx speeches, her online courses, her email list of half a million people, and her show, The U-Turn Podcast. She's been able to support clients in 31 countries in discovering their best career path, upgrading their confidence, and landing more job offers. She maintains a monthly career column in Forbes, and her work has been also featured in outlets such as The Wall Street Journal, CBS, Self, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, and many, many more her free quiz to get clarity on your best career path options, visit ashleystall.com And I'm sure we'll be talking about that a little bit more in the interview. Can't wait to jump into this with Ashley. But first, really quickly, if you are a podcaster or you are a podcast guest, and you want to do more high quality interviews, then you're going to want to head over to guestio.com. It's a software marketplace that my team and I put together recently that's full of a bunch of high quality guests to book if you're a podcaster and a bunch of high quality podcasts to book if you are a guest. So head over to guestio.com, create your free profile, and then browse through the marketplace. Get started right now today. That's guestio.com. Ashley, what is going on? Thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the show.
1: What's up? I'm so excited to be here and help everybody with their clarity, with building their network, such good stuff.
0: Yes, ma'am. So let's go ahead and dive in here. And uh, we kind of glazed over something in the introduction that I want to talk about a little bit more in depth. But before we get into that, let's uh go even before that and talk about uh let's say 13, 14 year old Ashley. What were you up to at the time? You know, what did your what did your parents do? What part of the world did you grow up in? You know, to kind of set the scene for us. What it was like growing up being Ashley Stahl.
1: You know, I think a lot of people underestimate what their parents' experiences do as far as making an impact on your career decisions. And it's like these high impact moments we have in our history that we don't even realize we're making career decisions. And in my case, I mean, 13-year-old Ashley, I mean, I could even go back to seven-year-old Ashley. She was reading Shel Silverstein in a hammock and loved books like Where the Sidewalk Ends and Falling Up. And my favorite book growing up was Perks of Being a Wallflower. So I've always been a feeler, I've always been a bookworm and I've always been a person who's great with words and this led me, you know, two decades later to write a book about how to figure out your skill set and I think at a young age I knew that words was was mine. And my parents, my dad had lost his company. He had to make that really hard decision to close the doors on a multiple million dollar business because times changed and I think that's the thing about being an entrepreneur. It's like We learn how to start a business and get excited and let our our energy carry us forward in starting. But nobody really teaches us how to sustain it. And in my dad's case, he had built one of the biggest financial firms west of the Mississippi and dropped out of college to do it. And times changed and suddenly we were in debt, we lost our home, and we had to move to suburbia. So 13-year-old Ashley had endured kind of that and watched her dad go through that. And I remember my dad saying to me, you know, Ashley, you can pick one of two paths in your career in your life. You can pick the merry-go-round, which he was referencing as collecting a salary and having a job, or you can pick the roller coaster, which he referenced as being an entrepreneur. And I remember thinking, like, well, I I don't like merry-go-rounds and I don't like roller coasters either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that a third you know, option? Yeah, yeah like, yeah. is there something more stable that isn't so boring? <laughs> yeah. So I ended up, you know, just taking those messages on with me and having witnessed him lose so much money and lose. And it was interesting because even for me as a kid, we moved into a smaller house, and I liked that it was a smaller house. I thought I could be closer to my parents. They were down the hallway versus in this huge house we had far away. So it's funny to think about being in a kid's mind where, you know, for adults, (laughs) it's like we want to make more money and have more, 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 versus for kids. It's like the simple joys. So Yeah, that that was a little 13-year-old Ashley.
0: So I assume that the interest in books and and things like that probably translated pretty well in school?
1: Yeah, I was always a really good student. And I think also, you know, like you noting that I worked in counterterrorism in my bio you know, my dad always talked about politics. I had two uncles on the opposite side of the political aisle from my dad. And so that made for some pretty heated Sunday night discussions. We always had Sunday dinners and they would go to each other's throats. And my mom would have to kind of like come in and be like the saving grace of the dinner, like, okay, okay, no politics at the table. And so it was kind of natural for me when I got to college to choose to study government because number one, my mom had ensured that my mom speaks Spanish and English. So she taught me some Spanish. I started taking French in middle school. It came to me so quickly that the professor would ask me, have you learned French before? Which it came from nowhere. And then, you know, later I started getting interested in taking Arabic. I just love languages. I love culture. I love the way that different languages allow you to understand people. And so while it sounded kind of obvious to pursue a career in government, when I got to college, I remember the career services person when I walked in and said, you know, I don't know what I want to major in. She you gave me all the bland directives. We all grow up hearing, like, follow your passion, do what you love. The money will follow. It's like, well, I love massages and cupcakes, but I would be a horrible masseuse and baker. So I'm not sure if I should be doing what I love. And, and these are the kinds of concepts that ended up having a huge impact on my choices and giving me a lot of clarity on my current body of work right now.
0: Sure. So where did that lead after high school?
1: Yeah. Well, so I I studied government history and French in college more out of indecision and commitment phobia than overachieving. You know, think, it wasn't well, like I was going
0: to say, I think that's probably something that you and, uh, you know, 80% of college freshmen share, <laughs> you yeah. know, is that people... Most of my adult friends still don't know what they're doing with their lives, you know how it's so it's crazy how much pressure we put on 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds to figure out what they're doing with their lives and commit to a major that's going to take them down a career path when they've never had any experience doing the thing that they're actually saying that they want to do. But that's, you know, neither here nor there. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I think it's it's actually the data indicates that about 27% of people are in a job right now that relates to their degree. And yet, so many young workers put themselves through so much agony over the fact that their degree doesn't match what they're pursuing. They don't realize that they're in the majority. And most of the time, you just have to remember that your work, your history, your degree, your life, it's here to serve you. You're not here to serve it, you know? And I think a lot of us end up holding ourselves hostage in our career, stuck somewhere that we, we are just because of the time we put in to allegedly get there. And You know, I get the the theory of sunken cost and how real that is as a phenomenon. And yet the retirement age is going up. You know, unless you're three to five years from your mid 70s, you've still probably got so much time ahead of you. And, you know, the best careers are not linear because as humans, we are growing, moving organisms that are not linear either. So in my case, I, I think I kind of bought into the pressure in college. I feel like the equivalent that people are experiencing in their careers or in their businesses is it's like society is telling us get it right the first time and the same it's it's almost like we should f- marry our first crush. That that seems to be what society is doing with your job. Like right. get it right and and grow it from the beginning versus be experimental and find yourself, which
0: right. It, 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 it it's just speaks more to the cultural, you know, push for sh- this short-term gratification and figuring things out sooner rather than later. And that's all it comes from is just, you You don't want to be the person, you know, when you're in college, you don't want to be the person that's old, quote, I'm saying old in quotes, right? Because what, you're 34 or whatever, and you still don't know what you're doing with your life. Like you're 34. You're still yeah. super, super young. You know what I mean? Like yeah. whatever age you are, like I'm saying, I'm saying people have this tendency to want to figure everything out right now, and yeah. that's when they get so caught up in things like the sunk cost fallacy of "I've put so much time, energy, and effort into this that I have to do it now." You know, especially if it's something like becoming a lawyer or a doctor or some of these degrees where there's extra work required and um, ex- extra years and extra uh, student debt that you that you take on to be able to get those to get yourself in a position to be able to do those careers. So I think it's even easier for those people just to be like, well, I mean, I'm here. I've, yeah. I've invested, you know, a quarter. I'm quarter million dollars in debt in student loans. You know, I I I got to do this lawyer thing. You know, because this is what I'm. This is what I'm doing. But then they actually get out to do it, and they're like, this is boring. I don't like it. It's soul sucking but then they feel like they can't switch careers because what would everybody else think and then I'm a then what am i you know what i mean yeah. i'm a i'm a 28 year old with a law degree that doesn't want to be a lawyer so now what do i do you know what i mean mm-hmm. i just go get a desk job somewhere do i go be in sales like what do i and and people get this idea that that's a negative thing like it's something that not everybody goes through you know and, and and like you said to your point when you look at the numbers it really just is probably something the majority of people are going through um and you're actually in the majority so it's okay to take a step back and figure out who you are for a second you know and i think that's kind of the 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 misunderstanding from the beginning is that kids never get a chance you know, adults never get a chance to get to know who they are You know, so if you don't do it on purpose or you never had anybody in in your life as a, as a kid, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old that, um, you know, helped you put a priority on spending time with you, uh, then I think you're doing yourself a big disservice there.
1: Yes. You know, one of my biggest arguments in my work, whether it's my book or my podcast, I'm always saying to people, you don't need clarity because what you really need is to connect with yourself. And when you're connected to yourself, when you know where you're gifted, when you know what your values are, it actually becomes a little bit, if you're in the workforce, it becomes a little bit more of a matchmaking game. This is where I have natural skills. And because the message of my work is don't do what you love, do what you are. And what you are is a a combination of of gifts and skill sets that are natural to you that you can hone in on, as well as values, non-negotiable principles by which you live your life and this work that I do in, in my book and everywhere else, it really is for entrepreneurs and job seekers. And I do think when people are in transition, which to be honest, we're always in transition, aren't we? There's always something that we're growing into. And you touched on something really important, which is what to do when you're kind of in that transition of realizing that something doesn't really work for you. I think that's a really vulnerable time when you're kind of in between purposes. Like maybe you did something in the past that did work for you, or maybe it didn't, but you thought it was going to be it. And you're on your way into the next level of you and you're not really sure what it's going to look like. I think where people really misstep is they are so afraid to be without that identity, without that conversation, that they want to just hold on to a plan for the sake of having one. And the risk there is that it can be incredibly damaging because we think we're moving forward in life. It's kind of like marrying the wrong person. Like People kind of deep down sometimes think, oh, this isn't the right person and they go down the aisle anyway. We think that we're making the right commitment and and it makes us have this perception of moving forward when really we're taking a step backward. And it's just so important to allow that space between when you don't know if what you're doing is working for you anymore and you're not sure what's next and I think there's a lot of ways people can connect back to themselves so that they don't just have to be job hunting if they're in the workforce or if they're in the business they don't have to be in this transition where nothing's working anymore they can actually be clarity hunting which really looks like what everybody else is doing. I don't think anybody goes job hunting to go look for an actual job. I think people are job hunting to scratch an itch of clarity saying like, is this next thing going to work for me? I think the majority of the workforce has that. And I think the majority of business owners in transition are experimenting because they want to feel clear on what they're doing. And a lot of clarity comes through engagement. So,
0: I was going to say, so what are just a couple of ways that we can take a step back and Get to know us a little bit better.
1: Yeah, I love that question, and that is what I devoted the whole U-turn book to. Is saying, you know, because I don't advise anyone to just do what they love, but instead do what they are. You know, my book is really an eleven-step roadmap to get into your identity as it relates to your career. And one of the fundamentals in the book um, is core skill set. So I believe that there's about ten core skill sets that exist in the workforce, in business, and it's so important to know which one your primary one is. I can go through those if it's helpful, but I I want everyone to know that there's really two dynamics in your career. There's the what of what you're doing. That's your skill set, how you're spending your day, what your responsibilities are. And if you're interested in sports or you have a passion for fashion, that's a backdrop. That's a backdrop to how you're using your skills, what your skills are throughout the day. Relates to are you in front of a computer? Are you writing? Are you talking to people? Are you selling? That's your skill set. And I think a lot of people get misdirected when they just lead with their interests because your interest says nothing about your skill set. And that's where success really rides. Um, so there's the what of your career, your skill set, and then there's the how of your career, which is your core values. I mean, given that we know half of people leave their job because they don't like their boss, what that tells me. Is that how your job looks or how your business looks matters just as much as what your business is or what your job is. So I kind of have those 10 core skill sets as a beginning guide for people.
0: Yeah. And I, I'd love to go into, into those, but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it as a cliffhanger for everybody listening. Yeah. So if you're listening right now and you want to know what those uh, 10 skill sets are and which one you fit into, then you're just gonna have to go pick up a copy of Ashley's book. Uh, oh, which how sweet. may as well give it a shout out right now before before the end. So where, where can they find that, Ashley?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's on Amazon if you're in North America and internationally, there are some countries that ships to on Amazon. Also, Book Depository's website is a really good place to go for international shipping, or else at u-turnbook.com, Y-O-U-T-U-R-N, book.com. There's a lot of places, so thanks for asking.
0: Yeah, of course. So u-turnbook.com, again, I'll say it uh, it a bunch of times on the show, but I'll say it again. Anytime we recommend a book, guys, just go pick it up right now. It's better to have it sitting on your bookshelf, um, waiting in line than it is to just forget about it and have it never be in your possession. And that's more likely uh, what's going to happen if you don't go prioritize picking up that book right now. I do it all the time. I make a habit. Any time I get a book recommendation, I buy it on Amazon immediately. And it's one of those things that, I think has been a really useful habit for me um, in, in that sense, because I'm pretty frugal when it comes to spending money. But I made a rule a couple of years ago that I would not be frugal when it comes to spending money on my own personal growth and learning, and it's been a, a really good decision for me. So go pick up a copy of Ashley's book right now um, as we kind of continue on in this conversation a little bit. This episode of the show is brought to you by, indeed Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need a hire, you need Indeed. Um, Ashley, talk to me uh, post-college. So you yeah. obviously didn't get directly into what you're doing right now. Uh, you spent a little bit of time in counterterrorism. So I'm curious yeah. to hear how you got into that and what that experience was like for you.
1: Yeah, I, I love reflecting on this time because it's so crazy to me how real we make our career for us in our 20s and our 30s. Like the moment we're living in, we let it impact us so deeply. And in my case, I graduated at the height of the recession. I went to graduate school, got a master's in London at King's College London in the Department of War. And I told myself, like, I'm going to be the next Carrion in Homeland. I'm going to catch Osama bin Laden. I'm going to join the CIA. And I moved home to Los Angeles, slept on my parents' couch and, you know, typical situation where, you know, after high school, your bedroom becomes like the the gym in the house or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) And I eventually bought into this myth that I would just have to take what I could get because it was so hard to get anybody to write me back during the recession. And eventually I just took a job making minimum wage as an admin assistant. And about four months into the job, I missed the idea of pursuing my national security career. I missed the possibilities that I felt when I was in graduate school. So I started taking Arabic at UCLA at night and I emailed my university and I said, do you have a list of alumni who have graduated and moved to Washington DC? I have no idea where this idea came from when I was like 22 years old or 23, really good idea. And they emailed me 2000 names and emails of people in the district. And The thing about that is obviously when you're networking, it's always better to have new bird energy or newbie energy. You know, like I'm a new graduate and I'm an alumni. So there's like an association for me with the people on that list. And I'm new and vulnerable. And I think when you network from that place, not to put yourself in a victimized role whatsoever, but to let people know you're new, you're transitioning, you want to move, you're an alumni, like all of that was really working in my favor so, I worked my way over three or four months through that list. I emailed everyone, I called everyone. And you can imagine when it comes to networking, the people who don't want you to cold call them, especially are people in intelligence and counterterrorism. <laughs> like, it's just, I, I was pushing a river trying to get through to them. And so I would say out of the 2,000 people I emailed and called, about 100 of them ended up helping me. And I got the confidence to quit my job. I fell on my face. I learned how to talk to people. I came up with things like my elevator pitch formula, which I also talk about in my book, my four steps. And I really learned how to have conversations that actually turn into opportunities. And that was when I got my job offer working for the Pentagon as a defense contractor. And I tripled my salary. I got a management opportunity. And on the sidelines of that, all my friends were saying, how did you get all these job offers? And you should be a career coach. And I was like, what is a career coach? And I Googled them and I saw all these weird websites with like rainbows and purple waterfalls. And I was like, this is terrifying. Like I'm not meant to be a, what if I'm 24 years old, like I'm not going to be a career coach. And you know, 10 years later, here I am, I've got the book podcast and all the things. And I'm a career coach.
0: So, what was the the time frame in between that time when you stopped working there and went full- time into what you do now?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, you know, I was at working in national security for two and a half years. The first year at the Pentagon was really an opportunity for me to just hone in on my job hunt skills and help people for free. And I really wasn't in the mindset that that would ever be a business for me. I just thought, you know, this is something that I'm really good at and I owe it to my friends to help them. And all of them were just getting huge raises and all this stuff from our work together job offers. Eventually, I really didn't like DC and I wasn't working in the right core skill set. So kind of when we were talking about core skill sets out of my list of 10, I'm the words core skill set. I'm really good at writing creatively. I'm a bit of an introvert. So I thrive when I'm kind of by myself writing. and I think that's a key point when you're looking at your skill set. Are you introverted? Do you need to express this skill set internally? or are you extroverted? And do you need to be peopling with your skill set? And for me, I, I think I misunderstood myself when I got that intelligence analysis opportunity. Because I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I can write reports, it's words, but really it was a different core skill set that I needed to have in that role. And that core skill set, which is also from my list, would be analysis. Analysis isn't really my thing, I wasn't actually using words, I was analyzing. And so I think. A lot of the times we under we misunderstand our skills or our gifts and it translates into taking the wrong opportunities if you're in the workforce or offering the wrong services if you're a business and it becomes really depleting. And so for me, I was really exhausted. I wasn't working in my natural talents. And I think that's the number one way to tire yourself out at work. And my body was telling me I was exhausted. I mean, we know that the human gut is also called the second brain because it has 200 million neurons, which is a cat or dog's brain size. So there's an intelligence to when your stomach sinks and you're tired and you're not happy or you get butterflies in your stomach. And so for me, I was having a lot of that at the Pentagon. Eventually, I made the decision to kind of surrender and move home. And it was such a a loud message that became clear for me, the difference between who you are and what you're interested in. And I'll be interested in politics always, but I am not meant to be working in politics. It doesn't align with my values as a person. You know, I'm sure there's another place I could use my skill set in politics, but there's just so much more at play. And that's really what my work is about, figuring out for people. And in my case, I ended up moving home and taking on free clients, working in national security for a private company in Los Angeles. Um, advising corporations on political and security threats when they were operating with staff all around the world as a political risk consultant um, on my behalf. And I started my business on the side and ended up leaving my job when I just had too many clients on the side. And I, I had no idea that, in, who knew in 2009, 2010, that so many people's parents wanted to buy their kid career coaching who couldn't get a job offer. And and there I came and that became my business.
0: Yeah, that's... Um such a great example of doing work that fulfills you and fits what you want for your life, not just doing work that you perceive as being valuable in the eyes of other people that you may want to impress. Yeah. Um and I gotta gotta acknowledge you for for being willing to do that and then actually stepping into that into that role and, and doing the work that you've been doing in the world now for the last few years. So what would you say are A couple of the top things that you want people to take away from your book, from your podcast? Like, if it's like a look, if nothing else, if you don't get any of the other things that I'm saying, here's the top couple of things that I want you to really think about when you leave listening to this interview.
1: Yeah, I would say the key message of my book is really around the idea that who you are always wins. So right now, everybody knows something in their bones that they probably don't want to admit because it's inconvenient to know what you know sometimes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us know what we know about our marriage, about our job, about our health, whatever it is we know. And we spend all day trying not to know it because it feels so inconvenient. Uh, but what my book really shows you is that you can't sustain being unhappy. Eventually, if you don't make a change in your life, life is going to hit you with a two by four. Yep, and like yep. Thoreau says, most men, and I would add women, live lives of silent desperation. And my book is really here to help people learn how to rip the Band-Aid off because the truth of the matter is we're either going to rip it off this year and cry or we're going to rip it off next year and cry. You might as well not delay it and really take a look at who they deeply and truly are so that they can start making career choices from a very clear place, Um, and stop wasting their time. When you don't have clarity, it just becomes this opportunity cost where you're just in this trial and error all the time and you're not actually locking into your life. So I would say that's really what my work is here for.
0: Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. We put out a video or a a podcast episode on this. I don't know if it was recent, but um, probably in the last few months. And basically I I talked a little bit about that, about how people have these wild expectations of what they deserve out of life or what life owes them or what they should be getting or whatever the, the case may be. But if you look at their daily habits, they're like the only person in their life that's keeping them in the bad position that they're in you know what i mean and so i encourage people to like if if you don't go out and change something on purpose it's not going to change on accident yeah but you know i mean it's not just going to happen and i think people are like waiting for that like they're they're working this crappy job and because it's a crappy job that they don't enjoy where they're not using like their skill set to their advantage like they don't give it their best effort. So they give, they have a bad impression on their boss and they have a bad relationship with their boss. And then they're always, and then the, the other person gets the promotion over them. So then they get all upset because that person's brand new. And I've been here for eight years and I didn't get the promotion. And It was like, well, yeah, but that's because you don't work really well. You're not ambitious. You're kind of lazy. You have a bad attitude because you don't want to be here. You know what I mean? But you're just expecting to get things handed to you because of time that you've been in the company. No, like it's yeah. about how valuable of a person you are to the organization. And uh, there's a lot more factors that come into that other than the amount of time that you've been clocking in and clocking out at the same place. So I, was, I always encourage people like something's got to change.
1: Yeah. got and- Change
0: your attitude about it and adopt a better attitude about the position that you currently have. Or you have to change uh, your environment and you got to like quit and go do something different or find something else to do. Or you have to change your expectations of yeah. what life is going to give you. Because yeah. if you're going to do something for 40 hours a week minimum, probably more than that for most people, if you're going to do something for 40 hours a week minimum that does not fuel you up and only drains your energy and makes you not enjoy life, how do you expect to live a life of fulfillment and joy and happiness? You're literally dedicating the majority of your waking hours for 40 freaking years to something that matters zero to you and that actually drains your energy completely. So you got to either change your situation, change your attitude, or you got to change your expectations of what life's going to give you uh, because it's not just going to happen on accident.
1: A hundred percent. And, you know, things are changing rapidly. I think there's some sort of quote that says something to the extent that sometimes It takes decades for a week to happen, Mm -hmm. and yet sometimes decades happen in weeks. And I think right now we're in a time where decades of progress in the workplace are taking place just in weeks. And with the rise of remote work, we're going to see a lot more data-centric promotions where you're going to see a rise of apps that are rating coworkers against each other anonymously after meetings, and people are evaluating each other, and that score is going to matter when you want a promotion. And I I know that Gen X and the baby boomer generation really grew up with locking into one job and going upwards. But now, I mean, you read books like Sapiens, and his biggest argument is that you know, the number one skill needed for the future is reinvention. Mm -hmm. So if you don't live your life, it's going to live you. And it's, it's not, that's not the vibe that you want to bring into your career. You want to be in charge of it. It's not only just your financial livelihood and what you can provide for yourself or even a family, but it's your fulfillment. And when you don't like what you're doing, you're more likely to gain weight, get sick, have relationship issues, the list goes on. So I, I hope that people give themselves permission to be in transition uh, because I do think some people move too quick and they just grab onto something. Other people move so slow, they just settle. I think there is a sweet spot when it comes to really figuring it out. And you know, kind of going back to connecting with yourself, like anybody listening to this, I would advise them, come up with a list of people, places, things that make you feel yourself And go do those. For me, it's the ocean. I love dance classes, certain music, certain friends. When I see them or I do these things, I feel myself. And when I feel myself, I get so much more uh, energy in my life. And that from that energy, I get so much creativity and so much clarity around what I want to do. And I, I don't know what has happened for all of us, but we seem to have cornered ourselves into this stagnance. And I just don't think that is where our aliveness can possibly grow.
0: Couldn't agree more with you, Ashley. Um, I've been enjoying the conversation so much, I didn't realize the time. So let's go ahead and move into talking a little bit about relationship building. And I know that we've kind of already mentioned it a couple of times throughout the uh, throughout the conversation, just with you talking about how you were able to make your first big job opportunity happen by calling through a list of 2,000 people. And I, I get the feeling that the majority of people don't put that amount of work into their career, which is uh, why they're left you know, wanting Uh, When it comes to the position that they want, or the salary that they want, or the benefits, or whatever else, you know, fill in the blank. So, I got to ask you this question because it's the one that we've asked every guest that's ever come on the show: Who you know, or what you know, Ashley? Which of those two is the more important asset in life, and why?
1: I don't think either is the more important one. I think it's about who knows you. I don't think it's about who you know. There's so many people out there that say, "Oh, it's all about who you know," and it's like, yeah, but if they don't know you, it's a dead at dead end. So. I think it's about who
0: knows you. Awesome, awesome. And can you give us, before we move into the last segment here, can you give us a quick example of when a connection in your life, relationship that you built, uh, maybe you expected big things from it, maybe you didn't expect anything from it at all, but it ended up turning into something big for you, big opportunity or job offer or contract or you know fill in the blank.
1: Yeah, I actually write a funny story about this in my book where when I first moved to Washington, DC, I went to the metro and there was a guy who was homeless, asking for money, and I gave him some money. And he also saw me struggling to figure out how to get a metro card. And he asked me where I was going, he helped me get my metro card. And I told him I was going to the U.S. Institute of Peace for an event because that's where I was networking in D.C. And he said, oh, you need to ask for my boy, Benny. You know, he's the cab driver and he's always at U.S. Institute of Peace driving people. You know, he he might stop in the event because that's what he does. And he gets free dinner, like, you know, because there's always food. You could totally sustain yourself on multiple meals through networking events in the district. So sure enough, he, he described him and I get there and there he is. And there was a whole room of people I can network with. And I go up to them. And this is my first friend, my first person I ever talked to in DC. And I was there with some random person that I met on the Metro who was also going to the networking event. And I, uh, I don't know, struck up a conversation with them. I get into the event and I find this guy, Benny, and I'm like, oh, your, your buddy, Johnny at Capital South station told me to say hi to you. Are you Benny? And he said, yeah, I am. And I'm talking to him for a while. And this person that I had met on the Metro, who was also walking to the event, cause we noticed each other kind of walking at the same time to the event. They were like, what are you doing? You're new to the city. Why are you networking with this cab driver? Like you need to get an internship. Like that's what I was telling them I needed. And so I go, okay, Benny, well, it's really nice to meet you. I got to figure out how to get an internship now over here. And he, he stopped me handed, grabbed my arm nicely, not like, you know, in a scary way handed me his card and he said, get in touch with me because I drive for the Clintons sometimes and I can get you a meeting at the White House. And he did. So I never forgot that. And I've so many stories like that in my life, but I just think about that guy all the time.
0: And that's a perfect, perfect story to wrap up this conversation and head into something like all the random round, just quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Yeah. What profession other than your own do you think that it would have been fun to attempt?
1: I would have loved to be a backup dancer for Drake or Beyonce.
0: If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be? Buddha. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Audio. What is an audiobook or a podcast that you would recommend everybody listen to?
1: I mean, obviously the U-Turn book or the U-Turn podcast, but- Of course. Of and, course. and yours. I would say um, one book that really moved me, at least in my business, was the Traction book. I would say that gave me a lot of insight, but I always, my favorite book is always the book I'm reading. So that's a really tough question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I hear you on that one. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: I make coffee, let my German Shepherd puppy out back in the yard and I journal and I write at the top of my journal page, what do you need me to know? And I never know what my hand is going to write. And I just start writing information for myself for the day.
0: What is your go-to pump up song?
1: I love Nice For What by Drake. Every hour is Drake hour in my house.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What is something that you are just not very good at, Ashley?
1: Arabic language. I mean, I got an ego when I was fluent in French. And then when I started taking Arabic, it was just a catastrophe. Like I was (laughs) decent, but not good.
0: (laughs) As we get everything wrapped up here, what's one place online where you want our listeners to go connect with you the most?
1: I want you guys to go to the U-Turn podcast if you don't get my book. And it's just Y-O-U, Turn, two different words. And I'd just be so honored for you guys to listen. It's a really good show to upgrade your mindset and work and in love. And I'm so excited to have you on the show with me.
0: So go check out the U-Turn podcast. If you're looking at episodes to tune into, you might want to look for one that has a familiar name on it uh, because I will be on the show um, as well. So go check out the U-Turn podcast, whatever podcast app you're listening in right now, just grab out at- Uh, grab that out and search U-Turn podcast with Ashley Stahl and give her a quick subscribe and check out some of the stuff that she's putting out there. Um, And then be sure to go check out her book as well, uturnbook.com. Go pick up a copy. Right now, before you forget, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Had a fantastic time chatting with you.
1: Thank you for having me. Such fun questions